Our scripture lesson is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1 and reading the entire chapter, page 1332, 1332 in the Pew Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians 9, verse 1, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that I said you were, as I said, you may be ready." Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation." But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, I want to speak to you about Thanksgiving, which should not surprise you, and about uh, what the Bible has to say about Thanksgiving. Now, first of all, let me say that uh, you may recall that the Catechism says that uh, we ought to pray because prayer is the chief part, the chief part of the thankfulness that we owe unto God. And when it speaks of prayer in that regard, I believe we should define a prayer rather broadly to include all that we uh, come and offer up to God in worship, whether it be a prayer or a song uh, sung to God. Uh, when we gather together and offer up to Him our praise and thanksgiving, that's the chief part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. And so when the President of the United States declares this day a national day of thanksgiving, it's very appropriate that we say, well, what should we do? Well, we should gather for worship, and we should also worship and thanksgiving to God because that's the the chief part of 
of the thankfulness that we owe to God, that we come and say thank you to Him, that we do so together, that we come together, as the psalmist said, I'll, I'll uh, come uh, with all your saints and, and offer up thanks to you. We read that in Psalm 116. It's the corporate worship, corporate thanksgiving is the chief way that we give thanks to God. But that's not what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about another way of offering thanks to God, namely generous giving to those who are in need. And I base this in part on Romans chapter 12, which says, In view of God's mercies, offer your lives as uh, an offering, a, a living offering unto God, not a, a dead offering, a, a sacrifice of atonement, but a, a, a living sacrifice, meaning a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, in response to God's mercy, we offer our lives to him as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then Paul unpacks that in the rest of chapter 12, and I'm not going to unpack that for you today, but if you uh, want to read it later, basically what it boils down to is a sacrifice of thanksgiving of your life offered to God is a life of service to other people. Use your gifts and talents and abilities. Use what God has given you to enrich the lives of those around you. He even says you ought to do that with regard to your enemies, loving your enemies and doing kindness to your enemies, enemies to heap coals of fire upon their heads. They, they're in need. They're in need of somebody to show them kindness, and you have the ability to do that. So live your life in service to others. Be generous with all that you have to your fellow Christians and to your neighbors, your non-Christian neighbors, and even to your enemies. A life of thanksgiving to God is a life of service to the needy and of giving, giving to the needs of others. And that's what Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, about giving gifts to people who are in need. Now, just a little background to this chapter before we get into the outline that's in the bulletin. The situation is this, that Paul, I believe it's his second missionary journey, has been in Corinth and he's told them about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is very needy. The church in Jerusalem is suffering for two reasons. They're suffering because of persecution, and they're suffering because of famine. And so the Christians in, in Jerusalem are in great need, and he told Corinth about that need, and Corinth promised to respond to that need with a financial gift. And then Paul left Corinth before they uh, took the offering with the understanding that Paul would come back and get the gift when they had actually given it. And then Paul went to Macedonia. And in Macedonia, he did the same thing. He told them about the church in Jerusalem. Now, he wasn't expecting much from Macedonia because the people there were very poor compared to the people in Corinth. In Corinth, in Corinth they were relatively wealthy or well-off, but in Macedonia they were very poor. Uh, the Christians there didn't have much. But Paul was blown away with how the Macedonians responded to his appeal for an offering. They gave so much more than what he expected. He, they, they gave in, to make themselves poor. They made themselves poor so that the, the saints in Jerusalem could... Uh, benefit from uh, in in their need. Now Paul is about to go back to Corinth and he's a little concerned 
that when he gets to Corinth, they might not follow through on their promise, and and then he'll be embarrassed, and the Macedonians will be uh, somewhat embarrassed because Paul has boasted to the Macedonians that the Corinthians are going to give a gift, and now some Macedonians are going to come with Paul to Corinth so that they can also accompany Paul all the way to Jerusalem with the gift. They're going to come, the Macedonians, some representatives are going to come with Paul to Corinth to pick up the gift, and then they're all going to go to Jerusalem with the Macedonian gift and the Corinthian gift. And so Paul writes to Corinth before he shows up to pick up the gift. He writes to them to warn them, the Macedonians are coming with me. The Macedonians have really done great, and you don't want to be embarrassed, so follow through on your promise. That's the background uh, to this letter. He's writing to them to encourage them to do what they promised to do in helping the saints in Jerusalem. And in so doing, he uh, describes what our giving should be like. And uh, I've uh, distilled uh, three uh, characteristics of generous giving that he uh, describes here. And uh, he says, first of all, Uh, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. He says you ought to be thinking about your gift and make a decision about what to do. Now, some people have looked at this and said, oh, uh, it's up to me to decide for myself what I want to give. There's no requirement here that I have to give 10% or I have to give a tithe or, or, or more than a tithe or whatever. The New Testament says, give whatever you want to give. So I'm free to give 1% if I want to give because Paul says I don't have to give 10%. He just says, give whatever you think you want to give. Well, that would be to misread Paul. Uh, yes, it's true. He doesn't reiterate the Old Testament uh, regulation of giving a tithe. And in fact, the Old Testament people gave much more than a tithe. Uh, They gave the tithe to the Levites for the support of the Levites and for the support of the work of the temple. But they also left the corners of their fields unharvested. They didn't go through the vineyard and the orchard a second time to get the, the, the late ripening fruit. And they, if they dropped a bundle of wheat, they didn't pick it up because the corners of the field and the second picking and the bundles dropped had to be left for the poor. And that amounted to a good amount of giving to the poor and the needy in the land. And they were supposed to be generous and Uh, in uh, giving uh, to anyone who was in need and uh, lending without uh, interest to the poor. There were all kinds of ways in which they were required to be generous. Now, Paul says, you know, the the law was a schoolmaster for for the Old Testament church, teaching them what good is. But now, in the New Testament, God is treating his people like adults, mature adults, who have been taught what good is and are now to be self-disciplined to do what good is. You know, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. When you were six years old, your mother and father made you brush your teeth every night before you went to bed. There was a law, a law in the house that says you have to brush your teeth. But now you're 20 years old and you're living in your own apartment. And uh, mom and dad aren't standing over you uh, saying you've got to brush your teeth. Well, ought you to brush your teeth? 
Ought you to practice good hygiene that you were taught as a law when you were young? Ought you to eat a healthy diet which uh, your parents taught you and sometimes your mother had to stand over you with a wooden spoon in her hand threatening physical bodily harm if you didn't eat a, a healthy meal? Is it no longer required that you do those things? Well, there's no law that requires you to do those things, but certainly there is a moral obligation to do what you were taught to do was good. And there still is a moral obligation for you, the people of God, to do what good is. And God has taught you in your infancy what good is. And that includes the tithe and generosity to the poor and those sort of things. But now he wants you to make a mature adult decision to do these things. If you're an adult and you're not practicing good hygiene, and not eating a healthy diet, and your mother is still alive and knows that you're not doing what you taught her to, what she taught you to do when you were young, you can be sure that she's grieved in her heart that you are ignoring what good is and what she taught you to be good. And you can be sure that uh, if you decide uh, to be selfish, that the spirit, you are grieving the spirit who is within you, uh, grieving God because you have decided that because nobody's threatening you with a law that uh, or a wooden spoon or whatever, that you're going to just do as you please. Well, Paul says, think, think about what good is. What did God teach his people regarding giving? And, and then also think, how has he blessed you? He's blessed you far more abundantly than he blessed the Old Testament saints. And if we're to respond in in proportion to the blessing we've received, then certainly we ought to uh, respond with greater generosity than what was taught to the Old Testament church. Just think, you've, you've seen the fulfillment of the Messianic promises. You've seen the, 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 the sacrifice of atonement on the cross, the once-for-all sacrifice. You, you know so much more about understanding the Old Testament than the Old Testament saints did. Even John the Baptist didn't understand it as well as, as you understand the Scriptures. And you have been given... You've been given the gift of the Spirit. You have become the temple of the living God. Let me just say parenthetically here, <laughs> you know, when I, ever since we've come back from suspended worship, we've taken the offering differently now, right? We, we take it after the service. The deacons are in the back. And every time I've made the announcement, I've said, uh, give it to the deacons when you leave the auditorium, when you leave the auditorium. And I've been waiting for somebody to say, Pastor, you shouldn't say auditorium, you should say sanctuary. And none of you have, have called me on that, and I'm a little frustrated because I have a good rejoinder, a good response. And the response is, no, I want to say auditorium because you are the sanctuary. This broom is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. God lives in you, individually and corporately. You are, and the Old Testament saints didn't have that blessing. God lived in a, in a tent or in a stone building. He didn't live in, in his people. He gave them spiritual gifts, but they weren't the temple. You are the temple. You are the sanctuary. In light of that great blessing... How generous we ought to be. Let each one give as he is determined. And how do you determine what to give? You determine by 
thinking what God has taught you about good giving, and you determine it on the basis of the abundant blessings that you have received. That's the first principle of of good giving, is that you think about it and make a, an adult decision about it. The second thing is that you persevere in that decision. You know, the great weakness of the Christian life is that we're all prone to, to drift, to drift away from God. Um, Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, uh, in Israel and Judah, was commended before God because he was like David in his youth, like David in David's youth. Because when David became old, he began to drift, you know. He, uh, he drifted with Bathsheba, and he drifted with counting and numbering the, the, the soldiers and so forth, numbering the men. Uh, he, he, he didn't persevere as he did in his youth. And uh, Solomon, well, he started out so great, and then he drifted away. And Hezekiah, he started out so great, and then in his old age he became proud and boasted of all his wealth to the Babylonian envoys and so forth. And king after king uh, in Israel started out strong in their youth, but then they began to drift. And, and these were people who were greatly blessed of God. And the church at Ephesus, they... they uh, they, they do great things for God, but they have to be admonished. Return to your first love. Lots of young people, when they make profession of faith, are very sincere and very earnest in their desire to live a life for God. But 20 years later, they can't find the time to have personal devotions in the morning, you know, and they're, they're drifting. And husbands and wives on their wedding day are determined to love each other according to God's ordinance. Which means husbands, love your wives self-sacrificially. Wives, submit to your husbands. And you're determined to live together in love as God has ordained marriage to be. And ten years later, you're bickering and arguing and fighting. And selfishness is destroying the marriage because you're drifting. Well, perseverance. Perseverance in giving is very important. You've determined uh, in January, this year we're going to tithe, and now it's the end of November. How are you doing on that resolution? Are you persevering? God is not pleased when we don't keep our vows. I will keep my vows, says the psalmist. I will persevere in doing what I have promised to do. And Paul urges the Corinthians, you promised to do this. Now do it. Persevere. And then the third characteristic is cheerfulness. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We don't give out of a burdensome sense of responsibility or even to avoid embarrassment and shame in the eyes of others. We give because we love the Lord. I'll, I'll say more about this uh, later when we deal with the, uh, the motive of thankful giving. But here, let me simply say, you know, make an adult decision considering all that... God has taught His people about giving and what good giving looks like in the Old Testament and what God now expects from you because He has given you greater blessings. Persevere in that and do it with cheerfulness. And if you will do that, then there are great benefits. And He enumerates some of the benefits in this chapter. First of all, He says God will, will supply your every need. Uh, he is able to make grace abound toward you that you always have all sufficiency in all things. He who gives uh, seed to the sower and bread for food, he'll give you 
an abundance of both material and spiritual blessings. Uh, It's always been the case that when God's people are generous to others, God is generous to his people. Uh, We read a proverb, Proverbs 11, 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. One gives freely, but gets richer. How does that work? And one is stingy and saves everything and doesn't share, and he grows poorer. You know, God said, if if you don't bring the tithe into the temple, I'll give you purses with holes in them. Uh, To the selfish, God uh, takes all the the money you're hoarding for yourself. He he just bleeds it away from you. You know, the car needs a new transmission, and it's a couple thousand dollars to keep the car going. And and, uh, the... you. or you, you hit a deer and, and the, the deductible is $1,000 and the, uh, the furnace breaks down and it's $1,000 and uh, a hailstorm comes and damages the shingles uh, so badly on the roof that you have to replace the roof and again, you've got to pay the deductible and uh, on and on it goes. You uh, go uh, hunting and stock the freezer with your own meat and you're, you bite down on a piece of venison, and there's this lead pellet there that breaks your tooth, and it's a $1,500 crown that you have to pay. The Lord gives you purses with holes, and He has ways of bleeding that money away. But the one who is generous finds all sources of income that he, he wasn't even anticipating, and, and bonuses at work that he wasn't anticipating, and, and God just seems to, to supply Everything that you need in even greater abundance. He says, bring my tithe into my house and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much that you don't have room to store it all. Malachi chapter 3, if you want to look it up, that's what he says. Be generous and God will be generous to you. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you measure, it will be measured back to you, says Jesus. Uh, He promises abundant blessing to those who are generous. That's one benefit of thankful giving. Another benefit is that the needs of others will be met. We certainly ought to be concerned about other people. And it's a good thing to see that when you are generous... The needy are helped, and they receive what they need. And and then a third benefit is that God is praised through it all, because we recognize that selfishness is our default mode. Selfishness is, is natural to fallen man, and therefore if generosity has happened, it's because God has intervened. And so everybody gives thanks to God for the generous gifts that he has inspired among his people. God will be thanked and glorified by all who see your generosity and by those who benefit from it. And then there's a fourth benefit, and that is that those who have received your generosity will pray for you. They'll give thanks to God for you and pray that God will take good care of you. Even if they don't know your name, if you give anonymously, they'll say, Lord, whoever made this possible for us, please 
have mercy on them and bless them. And prayers will go up to heaven on your behalf. So God will supply your need. He will be, uh, the needs of others will be met. He will be praised and more people will be praying for you. What's, what's not to, what reason can we have for not giving generously when all these benefits are promised? But now the motive, the motive, well, the motive is expressed in his last verse of this chapter. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. God has given to us an unspeakable gift. And of course, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has sacrificed his son for us given him up to death, death on the cruel cruel cross where he suffered the curse of God in our place for us to deliver us from the curse. We, he who knew no sin became sin for us. We who are under the curse are delivered from the curse because he was cursed for us. Grace is kindness to those who don't, don't deserve it by one who's not obligated to give it. God is not obligated to be gracious to us. And we are in no position to demand it of him. But he, out of love, has given us his son. And because of that, we're called now to be givers. To be like our Father in heaven. (laughs) He's a giver, and we're to become like him. And Christ is a giver. He voluntarily gave himself. The Father gives the Son, but the Son also gives himself. And they've both given cheerfully. They've both given generously. And now you're called to become like that. You know, one of the the things that Christ does for us is not only atone for our sins, but then also he sanctifies us. He cleans us up. He makes us more like himself. We're renewed in the image of God in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. And being renewed in the image means we become more like God. God is a generous giver. And so if God is at work in you, you should be able to see that work manifested in that God has made you a generous, cheerful giver. When you see that, thank him and continue to persevere in generous, cheerful giving. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a generous, cheerful giver and has given your son for us. And we thank you that Jesus is a generous, cheerful giver who has given himself for us. Oh, Father, help us to consider that and to determine to be generous givers and to persevere in that and to do it cheerfully because you have done it for us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.